Well, please open your Bibles again at uh, Genesis 14. We're going to be looking at that passage now. Now, I don't know if uh, you like roller coasters. Do you like roller coasters? No, no, I don't particularly either. I think the last one I was on was in Disney World in 1996, uh, although I'll probably be forced onto one in the next few years, but I don't like them. But sometimes life feels like a roller coaster, doesn't it? With its highs and its lows and its ups and its downs. We're looking this evening at, uh, in Genesis at the life of Abraham, or as he's called here, his old name, Abraham. And in chapter 12, we, we see God make huge promises to Abraham. Promises to, to bless him. To make his name great. He was a nobody at that time. To bless the, the nations through him. To bless Wales. God gave Abraham a promise for Wales. To bless Wales through him. And at times in Abraham's life, that promise of God seems to be thriving. It's right on track. Life is on a, a high. Faith is strong. But other times the, the promise seems threatened. Is it going to happen? Is God really going to do these things? Because life is in a bit of a downturn for Abram. And faith is a bit shaky. Will God's promises then fall by the wayside if Abram messes up? Well, in this story... Uh, the land of Canaan is, is invaded. Canaan is what we would now know as Israel in the Middle East. And we read in this story that Abram had a nephew. In fact, he never had any children at this point. He only had a, a nephew. So maybe if God's promises were going to come true, it would come through this nephew. But we see that the nephew is captured. And we see that the king of Sodom comes Sodom was a very prosperous place and the king comes and he makes Abram a, a very tempting offer that he surely can't refuse. So there are some threats to the promise in this chapter. How will God work then to, to strengthen Abraham's faith and keep his promises on track? How will God keep hope alive for Wales in the Old Testament? That's important, isn't it? How will God keep hope for this church alive in the Old Testament? For us, for the world. How will God do that in this story? Well, let's look first of all, verse 1 to 12, an unsurprising ruin. Let's look and see an unsurprising ruin. Now, this past week, uh, it seems as if the big stories in the news have been Partygate with Boris Johnston and uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow trial. Every time I log on to BBC News, they seem to be the headline. But imagine if, if tomorrow China went to war with America. Do you think Partygate would be front news, front page news? Big wars create big interest, don't they? And Genesis 14 opens with a big 
international war. Five little kings from the west quit paying taxes to big king Chedorlaomer. And so the big chief builds an army from the east. The East Enders, we could call them. A league of four kings trying to win back losses. And we see that the, the East Enders are a mean fighting machine. They are, they are giant killers. They sweep all before them. You think, who's ever going to stand against this vast army? And they are, the writer of Genesis actually wants us to, to feel how powerful this army is. Look how he, he takes time to describe in detail just how powerful they, they are. And he wants us to get that. They are a big army. They are full of power. Who's going to stand against them? A bulldozer sweeping countries aside, a giant killing machine. And then they turn their attention to the big prize, to the League of Sodom. And it's a walkover for the East Enders, a massacre. Nobody can stand up to them, not even rich and prosperous Sodom. But it might surprise you to know that the, the kings in these verses are not the main focus of the story or of history. They are just bit part players, if you like, to the main actors in the story, who are Lot, the guy who was taken away, and Abram, his uncle. They are the key characters, not the big kings. Why? Because in the Bible, right through the Bible, International politics is not center stage. The church is center stage. Isn't that encouraging to know that God's concerns aren't the news headlines, aren't the big world events as such, but they are the struggles of his little people and how his purposes are working out in their lives, in your life. That is God's big concern. You know, Lot messed up big time. And it was an unsurprising ruin, really, that he had. Chapter 13 shows how Lot did a very stupid thing. He left the land of promise for the land of plenty. He didn't want to wait in God. He didn't want to stick with the man of faith. Chapter 13 says, Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And now we find Lot living in Sodom. And Sodom brings him not riches, but ruin. You see, like Eve in, in Genesis 3, Lot is attracted to what he sees, to what entices him. Abraham focuses on what he doesn't see, 
Abraham focuses on what God has promised him, which he will not see for a long time. Lot gives in to the seduction of the world. And he pays a very high price for it, doesn't he? The Apostle John warns the church in his first letter in chapter 2, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. You know, as Christians... We must body swerve the things that pull us away from God's promises. The things that make us feel that we are big and God is just small. The things that promise success but say absolutely nothing about sacrifice. The things that encourage wanting but never waiting. The things that give an instant kick, but leave you with nothing lasting. Are you tempted by what the world has to offer? Are you? What do you have to lose? You have everything to lose, and you have nothing to gain. What will it profit a man, a woman, says Jesus in Mark chapter 8, if they gain the whole world, everything that it has to offer, and yet lose your soul? Lot got far too close to the world. And first Lot lost the plot, and then Lot lost the lot. It was an unsurprising ruin by somebody who gets so close to the world. But then secondly and unexpectedly, look in verse 13 to 16 for an undeserved rescue. An unsurprising ruin, but then an undeserved rescue. You know, if you were given a choice, would you live in the land of promise or in the land of plenty? Would you stick with God knowing you have to wait and you have to make sacrifices and things don't come to you straight away? Or would you be looking for an instant fix right now? Something to make you happy now? Something to make you feel good about yourself now? Something to make life more comfortable for you now? Well, this is what Lot does in chapter 13. He leaves the land of promise for the land of plenty. He leaves the man of faith for the man of folly. He gets the first choice, but it's not the best choice. And now he's lost everything. And Abraham could have said, well, he had it coming. It's an unsurprising ruin. A fool and his money are soon parted. What did he expect? 
And yet see, verse 14, see how Abram is moved by love and loyalty for his undeserving nephew. And he sets off in a rescue mission. Now you might say, Abraham, you're crazy. Imagine taking on a huge army with 318 soldiers. Imagine Russia had invaded Ukraine and Zelensky had sent out 318 soldiers. What would you say to the guy? But Abram knows, as Paul knows in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Did you know that one, one, even one, with God is a majority? One with God in the office. One with God in the classroom. One with God in the home. One with God in the street. One with God in the village. One with God has the upper hand, always. In fact, notice how, again, how the writer makes such a big deal about how powerful this army was and how puny Abram's forces were. I mean, he even says the exact number, 318, against all these soldiers. Doesn't he want us to show in this just how big God is? He wants God to take the, get the center stage. He wants to make it clear that if this army is going to be defeated, God's going to defeat it. And nothing can stand in his way. Nothing can break his promises. No army's too big. No Abram's too small. And just think of God's grace here. Hasn't Lot turned his nose up at God's promises? Hasn't he walked away from his father in the faith? And yet look, look how Abram gets up and goes out to, to rescue him at great cost to himself. I mean, Abram could have lost everything. All his men, all his possessions, everything that he'd worked for. And yet he goes out to rescue the man. You know, can you imagine God loving you and chasing after you if you had turned your back on him? This is the great news of the gospel, isn't it? Do you think you deserve God's kindness? You don't. Do you think you're worthy of his love? You're not. And yet, despite that, God sends his son to suffer and die to, to rescue people who have turned their back on him, who have walked away from him, who have followed their own desires and messed up. Still comes after them. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. He says, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good person, 
Someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, if you turn your back on your friends, who's going to come looking for you when you're in trouble? If you walk out in your family or fall out with your family, who's going to get you out of the hole that you make for yourself? But God comes looking for those who turn away from him. He loves sinners. He chases them down until he finds them and then he brings them back. Safe and sound. Would you keep running away from a God like this? Would you not come to him? To his son, to Jesus Christ? Would you come? And when you do come, you realize it wasn't actually you who found him. It was him that had been chasing after you all the time to rescue you and to bring you back to God. So we see an unsurprising ruin and we can identify with that, can't we? Because we see that ruin in our own lives. And yet, thank God, we don't only see the ruin, we see an undeserved rescue here. And then finally, in verse 17 to 24, look how we see an unshakable resolve. I was talking to, to Mark this afternoon about his, his love of... Um, World War II, and it won't be long before we'll celebrate again the, the anniversary of VE Day. We remember that time, don't we, all the, all the battles are over and, and the victory was won. And in this passage, Abram fought a huge battle against Chedorlaomer, huge battle against these kings. But you know what? Abram's biggest battle is still to come in this chapter. We can't get the flags and the bunting out yet. For now we come to the main point of the story. Here is Abraham. Here is the man of faith. Flushed with victory. How will he handle success? How will he handle success? Perhaps there's no greater test of our character than how we handle success. The Victorian uh, historian Thomas Carlyle said this. He said, for a hundred people that can bear adversity, hardship, difficulty, there's hardly one that can bear prosperity. In other words, when, when times are hard, sometimes we... We've, we have resources, we find resources to help us, and we depend on God more, don't we? And yet when times are good, we can go off the boil and drift away. For a hundred who can endure adversity, there's hardly one can endure prosperity. And the lure of prosperity has claimed Lot. Will it take Abraham too? 
That's the question. And after an amazing victory, because it is an amazing victory, surely Abraham must feel the seduction of success. He's a wandering shepherd ushered into the presence of royalty. Who wouldn't be dazzled? Two kings, not just one, will give him an audience. The king of Sodom and the king of Salem or Jerusalem. Now, why the king of Salem? Where does he come from? What part did he play in the battle? Genesis tells us that this king, Melchizedek, he's also a priest of God. He, he, he was God's man in Salem. He wasn't like the king of Sodom. He was God's man. And he has urgent business with Abram. Why? Because the devil is coming. And Abraham needs support. Abraham needs to wait for God's promises and not be tempted by instant riches that one of these kings can offer him. Abraham needs to trust God and not the things that his eyes can see right in front of him. We learn that the king of Salem is a very faithful priest. He ministers to Abraham. Look, he brings some refreshment after a, an exhausting battle. He's, he's someone who gives to, to God's servant. And he sings God's praises and claims God's promises. And he gives credit for Abraham's success to the right one, to the right place. He says, verse 20, Praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. In other words, Abraham, if you're tempted to think that you know, this success is due to you, then think again. This is God's work. This is God's victory. And so when the seed of Satan comes to tempt Abram with riches and prosperity and ease, Abram knows what to do. And that is give glory to God and to hell with the king of Sodom. If Abraham has to be blessed, then it will be the Lord who will do it, not the king of Sodom. Abraham will honor the king of Salem, God's man, not the king of Sodom, Satan's man. Now notice how Abraham gives a tenth to Melchizedek. He gives him honor and, and tribute. And doesn't he say here, that it is Christ for me? It is the promises for me. God can give me far, far more than the world can ever give me. And thank God we too have a faithful high priest. Hebrews 7 says Jesus is a priest. He is that priest in the order of Melchizedek. So that when we feel low after battle and the lure of the devil's temptations comes to us, when we need a bit of refreshment, when we need the perspective of God's holy word, he is there for us. As Melchizedek was there for Abraham. 
And when we turn to the Lord Jesus, we experience the blessings and hopes and promises of the gospel. And he shows us what it means to wait and to trust in God. And only he will give us what we need to resist the devil when he comes knocking at our door. I don't know if you've heard of a lady called Fanny Crosby. She was born in 1820 near New York. And she was actually blind from birth. But she wrote some amazing hymns. And one day uh, Fanny was talking to one of her neighbors and he was complaining about his poverty. And he said, if I had wealth, if only I had wealth, I, I would do what I want. I would, I would be somebody and people would sit up and take notice of me. Fanny was quite unimpressed and she said, well, you know what, take the world, but give me Jesus. And then she went away and she went to her room and she sat down at her desk and she wrote a hymn. And guess what the first line was? Take the world, but give me Jesus. And isn't this what Abram says? having been in the presence of the king of Salem, and now listening to the enticing words of the king of Sodom, take the plunder. Abram says, take the world. Take it. But give me Jesus. Give me God's promises. Look at verse 20. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. Hasn't Abraham grasped the words of the Lord Jesus? What does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? Doesn't Abraham have an unshakable resolve? And aren't these the, the words of faith here? Abraham's faith. Our faith. Christian faith. Take the world, it says. Take it. But give me Jesus. That's faith, isn't it? What will it be for you this evening? What will it be for you? Just where you sit, where you are just now. Will it be the world and all that it has to offer? Because it has things to offer. Is that what you want? Do you want to live your life following these things? Or is it Jesus you want? And the promises of God. Will you this evening, will you choose sacrifice over success? Will you choose waiting over wanting? Will you choose the land of promise over the land of plenty? 
Well, if you feel God calling you to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, then come to him and turn your back on the world's empty offers and follow the Lord Jesus with all your heart. And like Abraham, set out on your journey and keep your eyes on Jesus and all the promises of God. And I tell you, you will never, ever, ever be the loser.